And if you're joining us for the first time, or for the first time in a while, I'm sorry, 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel 11, that makes more sense. I always count on somebody out there helping me out, giving me the 2 Samuel sign in the back, so that's where we want to be, 2 Samuel 11. As I was saying, if you've been with us through the, this series, or if it, maybe you haven't been, maybe it's your first time, or you're joining us kind of midway, we've been looking verse by verse through the life of David, and the theme has been following the shepherd. We've used the 23rd Psalm as our guide, as David, probably as a young man, as he began his relationship with the Lord, he wrote those beautiful words, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. We've used the 23rd Psalm really as an outline for the major movements of David's life. Last week, we concluded what was the height of the mountaintop experience in David's life. I mean, he has, he's been through some struggles, some ups and downs, but he got to the point where the Lord has brought him into his position and his kingdom. He has the, really the domination of all of the nations around him, and he has the loyalty of his people and just the blessing of God. If you talk about uh, living by the, in the green pastures, being led in the green pastures and going by the still waters, that's where David was in his life. I mean, just at a place where God was blessing him in a real and a powerful way. But today's passage is a really difficult passage. And there's, there's not a lot of rejoicing in the passage. There's not a lot of uh, there's not a lot of opportunities for jokes and happiness. It's a serious passage that we come to. Because David, in this time of blessing and in this time of prosperity, David becomes the wandering sheep. Instead of following his shepherd closely, he wanders astray. I'm reminded of Isaiah 53, I think it's verse 6, all we, like sheep, have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. The Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's David really embodies that statement today as he wanders away from the Lord. And let that be a caution. And so today's message really serves as a warning for each of us. And that is that no matter how far that we have journeyed with the Lord, no matter where, what he's brought us through, to where we are today, not, all of that aside, no matter where we are, you and I are always susceptible to temptation. We understand that, right? That we're always susceptible to temptation and defeat when we take our eyes off of the Lord. And that is what happens in the life of David today as we look at this time of wandering in David's life. So I'd encourage you to Pay close attention to the scripture today. Look at verse 1 of chapter 11. It came to pass, after the year was expired, at the time when kings go forth to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. And they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David tarried still at Jerusalem. And it came to pass in an evening tide, that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof, he saw a woman washing herself. And the woman was very beautiful to look on. And David sent and inquired after the woman. And one said, is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam? 
the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And David sent messengers and took her. And she came in unto him, and he lay with her. For she was purified from her uncleanness, and she returned unto her house. And the woman conceived and sent and told David and said, I am with child. Let's ask the Lord's help. Lord, we thank you for an opportunity to study your word. Lord, I pray that we would give it our full attention. Lord, I pray that you'd help me. I pray that the scriptures would would speak, Lord. I pray that the Holy Spirit, you Holy Spirit, would move in each of our hearts. And I pray that, Lord, how we deal with this text, how we deal with this passage would both honor you and challenge us. Lord, I pray for those in here this morning that may be gripped with temptation. Lord, I pray for those who may have secret sin in their lives. Lord, I pray that you'd help them to see that there is hope, there is forgiveness, but there are consequences should we continue in disobedience. So we ask for your presence in Jesus' name. Amen. I think the first problem that has happened in David's life is that, and you'll see this in your notes, he's forgotten about what his true place is and what his purpose is. Did you notice what it said in verse number one? It says in verse number one that after the year was expired, at the time when kings go forth to battle, it it was expected, it was a cultural expectation that as the people went to battle, who would lead them? The king would lead them. That was his duty. That was his responsibility. And I don't think that the Bible is, I, I don't think that it emphasizes this without point. It says that the kings were going to battle, but David sends Joab in his place. Up until now, we've seen David faithfully being king, taking on his responsibility. But now we could, we could suppose why maybe he had just said, you know what, I've worked hard enough, I deserve a little break. Have you ever had that attitude before? You know, after all, I've kind of earned this opportunity to step back a little bit. Maybe I don't need to take my spiritual responsibilities quite so seriously. After all, I mean, I've been faithful to my church for 10, 15, 20, 30 years. I've, I served in this, I served that. So you know what? I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna step back. Now, I'm not talking about the kind of, sometimes we need to step back for our souls to be restored. You know what I'm talking about? There's a purposeful, there's a purposeful withdrawal, but that's not what's happening in David's life. He's losing his purpose. He's losing his sense of mission. In fact, let me give you some, the, some passages to correspond with that. These are just from a few chapters earlier. We see David prior to this in 2 Samuel 7:18. This is after the Lord gave him the promise. David says, David then went King David in and sat before the Lord, and he said, who am I, O Lord, and what is my house that thou hast brought me hitherto? This is David just overwhelmed that God would enter into a covenant with him, that God would give him a promise. David just says, oh God, who am I? And if you'll give me this liberty, I see David now later on saying, well, you know, I am the king after all. I don't need to, to be involved. Then I see his, him fulfilling his duty in chapter 8. You look at 2 Samuel 8. And verse 15, it says, And David reigned over all Israel. And David, look at this. And David executed, what's it say? Judgment and justice. 
unto all his people. He's lost sight. In this passage, he has lost sight of what his place is and what his purpose is. He is there to be the representative of God for the people. Yet he allows wickedness to come into his own heart. The first mistake that David and all Christians who have fallen, all believers who've fallen into sin, forget whose they are, and they forget what they've been called to. That's what David does. And then we see him fulfilling his lusts. You look in verse number 2, we already read it. It came to pass in an evening tide that David arose from off his bed, walked upon the roof of the king's house, and from a roof... From the roof, he saw a woman washing herself. The woman was very beautiful to look upon. And David says, I want her, bring her to me. I don't need to make a lot of comment on that. The point is, David sees something with his eyes, and it's not the, it's not the, the look that is sin. It's not the temptation that is sin. It's the lust that is sin. And can we all remember the words of Jesus? If you look at a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery in your heart. What we've already read in the scripture, David has already committed adultery with Bathsheba. It's already happened. We live in a pornographic generation. We live in a day and an age where Sexual immorality really bombards us. Average exposure, average exposure for a child to pornography is in the fifth grade. That's statistics show you that. The Bible says flee fornication. Flee. Run. First Timothy, flee fornication. Every sin that a man does is it's outside of his body, but he who commits fornication sins against his own body. We live in a in a, in a, again, this is an uncomfortable topic, but it's important. It's, imp- it's an important topic because it has affected the lives of so many. And in this generation, we have to be careful. We are going to see things. We are going to be exposed to things. The action that we take at that moment reveals the condition of our heart and how close we are in our walk with the Lord. David fulfills his lust. And can I sh- share this as well? This did not come out of the blue. This did not come out of the blue. But there had been a pattern that was set up in David's life. And I say that to warn us about patterns that we allow in our lives that can lead us into eventual disobedience or greater disobedience. You say, what do you mean there's a pattern in David's life? I pointed this out probably a couple of months ago or a few weeks ago, I've lost track of time, We pointed this out when we were in 2 Samuel 5, and even in some of the previous passages. In 2 Samuel 5, early in David's kingdom, when he is still, when David is still um, obedient to the Lord, and he's he's growing in his kingdom, it says this in 2 Samuel 5:13, and David took him more concubines and wives out of Jerusalem after he was come from Hebron. And there were yet sons and daughters born to David. You say, what is the point here? There is a specific command, and we had looked at it in in previous chapters. You say, well, isn't this what all of the kings of these days did? Exactly, and that is precisely the problem. 
When you would come into power, when you would come into authority, it was the commonplace in Eastern tradition. It was perfectly legal for the king to assemble a harem. And that's what he, what David did. The problem is David was behaving more like a Philistine or Ammonite king than he was a Hebrew king, child of God. And he allowed what was a cultural, culturally legal. David could do this and not legally be guilty of adultery. In his culture, he was allowed to do this, yet God had specifically said, when you have a king, Israel, when you have a king, he shouldn't multiply gold and silver, he shouldn't multiply horses, and he shouldn't multiply wives to himself. The specific command that David had disobeyed, but this was years ago. And what harm had come from it? Are you with me? I mean, this was years ago. And what harm had come from it? Just behaving, just, men, men, well, all guys look. Well, that may be true, but that's, but Christian men don't. Jesus didn't. Well, all, 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 all people watch things like this on television. All people do that. But Christian people are called to live distinct from the culture. David has developed a pattern. And it applies to all sin. That when we make small allowances, and it, it, whether it's in um, sexual sins like we're looking at today, or if it's in lying or stealing or uh, in bad attitude, in any area of our life, when we begin to make small allowances for sin, you sow to the flesh, you will of the flesh reap corruption, Galatians says. You and I are making small deposits each and every day. In the way we live, in the thoughts we allow into our minds, we are either making small deposits for our spiritual health, or we are making small deposits in the flesh. But someday, we will cash in on those deposits. David is a powerful and tragic warning. So he fulfills his lusts. Romans 13, 14 reminds you and I as New Testament Christians, as we talk about this, I said making deposits of the spirit of the, or the flesh. Romans 13, 14, But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. Well, it happens. And of course, we're back in our text, verse number 4. Isn't it interesting in verse 3? It says that David sent and inquired after the woman, and someone says, I, I don't know if they quite had the courage to say, David, this is wrong. I, I don't think they had that kind of courage to say that to the king, but hopefully, hopefully what they were trying to do was just plant a little seed in David's mind to say, David, are you sure about this? Because they say, wait a minute, this, this woman is not this Bathsheba. You realize who this is, right? The daughter of Eliam, the wife. And David heard those words. David heard, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite. But the problem is, sin begins to take control of us. And our sinful desires, when, when, when we are given over to those desires, when we yield to them, Romans says that you yield, know you not that to whoever you yield yourself, his servants you are to obey. That's what happens. David has now yielded himself over 
to, the, to become the servant of his lust. So it doesn't matter what you say in that moment. It doesn't matter. And, and he echoes, he doesn't say it with his mouth, but in his actions, David echoes the voice of our generation that says, how could something be wrong that feels so good? David echoes that in his actions. He cannot hear. He's deaf to the, deaf to the sound of, of the Spirit and given over to his own desires. And you know what happens. Many, many of you are familiar with the story. It turns into panic, plotting, and death. Look, read on with me. Verse number 6. And David sent to Joab, saying, Send me Uriah the Hittite. He found out in verse number 5, Uh-oh, this didn't go exactly as I had planned. This isn't what I expected when Bathsheba comes. And that one-night stand is in the past. It's all forgotten about. Yet, now, now comes Bathsheba a few days later, and Bathsheba says, I'm, I'm going to have a baby. And David says, This isn't what I planned. This is not what I planned. Before I read the rest, it's important for us to consider James 1.14 and verse 15. The Bible says this, But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Now look at verse 15. We're about to see this play out. Verse 15, would you read this out loud with me? Begin. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. What we're about to read, there is so much death in this story. There's so much death in this story. But the cultural applications today, sin brings so much death today. And listen, I'm going to say something hard and what would be very unpopular today, so prepare yourself for it. But the fact is this, there are many deaths that have resulted from one-night stands in our generation. There are many little babies who have been aborted because of a one-night stand. And that is a grievous sin on our nation. Now there's hope. We're going to come to the end and there's going to be hope. But the point of this passage is to make us feel. You can't read this passage and just skip over it and be like, all right, well, it's not a real feel-good topic, so we just got to kind of move on. No, the point of the passage is to make us feel the weight of what happened in David's life. Because such is the weight and the pain and the heartache that comes with every choice to walk away from a gracious and loving God. And there's just death that's going to happen in this passage. And all of it, David will become responsible for. So, David has to come up with a plan. He panics. And just like many a sinner who thinks they're about to be caught, he panics and he says, there's got to be a way for me to get out of this. There's got to be a way for me to kind of solve this situation on my own. I'm going to go this way. I'm going to go that way. And look what he decides to do. He thinks he's got a foolproof foolproof plan to get out of it. David sent to Joab, verse number six, Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. Joab sent Uriah to David, and when Uriah was come unto him, David demanded of him, how, so how's Joab doing? How are the people doing? How's the war going, Uriah? As David makes nervous small talk. How, how are things going out? And how is the battle? 
And David says to Uriah, Uriah, you need a little break. Why don't you go home, wash thy feet? Uriah departed out of the king's house. There followed him a mess of meat from the king. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord and went not down to his house. And when they had told David, saying, Uriah went not down into his house, David said unto, he says, Uriah, Camest thou not from thy journey? Why then didst thou not go down to thy house? Why didn't you go home? I gave you this opportunity to go home. And David's, you know, he's sweating. He's nervous. This plan isn't working out how he thought. And Uriah said, look at verse number 11. And Uriah said unto David, the ark. He's talking about the ark of the covenant. And Israel and Judah abide in tents. And my Lord Joab, And the servants of my Lord are encamped in the open fields. Shall I then go into mine house to eat and drink and lie with my wife? As thou livest and as thy soul liveth, I will not do this thing. What an honorable man. Right? I mean, what an honorable man. And I believe that we're going to meet Uriah someday. Uriah is, in my mind, he's a hero of the faith. And do you know something amazing about Uriah? Did you notice what his lineage was? He is known as Uriah the Hittite. He's not a Hebrew. He's a Gentile. He's from a pagan nation. But somehow... His family, or Uriah himself, had discovered the God of Jacob. They discovered the true God, and he he forsook his idols, he forsook his pagan land, and he came and devoted himself to God and the people of God. Wow, what an honorable man. He was one of the mighty men. That's right, one of the chosen mighty men. Listen. It's possible. Can I tell you something? It's possible to use a popular expression. It's possible to do all the right things and get the, quote, short end of the stick in this life. But in God's book, Uriah is an honorable man. Uriah loved the Lord. And he was betrayed by someone who knew better. And listen, this world, the, the church world, is filled with people who were honorable, who loved the Lord, and they were betrayed by someone maybe even in authority. But God knows Uriah's pain. And God knows, and I think that Uriah entered Abraham's bosom, entered paradise to a glad reception, an honorable reception. And Uriah becomes a victim in this saga but he would not be, he will never be defined by his victimhood. He'll be defined by his relationship with God Almighty. That's a whole nother little mini sermon inside of this. But it's important to remember you can do all the right things and people can still do evil to you. Don't let that shake your faith in God. Because Uriah didn't serve King David, his leader let him down. But Uriah served a greater king a greater Lord. And so he's not going to do this. He's like, no, David, I just can't do that. It wouldn't be right. 
It wouldn't be right for the men. It wouldn't be right for all my men to be in the field. It wouldn't be right for the, for the, the warriors of the Lord to be engaged in the battle. And I'm just going to sit back and enjoy myself. I'm not, I just can't, I, I just can't sit back and take all the blessings and not be in, involved in the battle. Boy, that must have stung a little bit when David heard that. Because that's exactly what David had decided to do disengage from the battle, disengage from the conflict and say, I've earned this, I've earned this, I have the right, no one understands the pressures I go through. I don't know what rationalization he used, but every time you or I have fallen into any sin, we've had some rationalization. There's been some reason in our mind. But Uriah's not playing along. Now David's even more nervous. And listen, you and I, if we allow sin to take control of our hearts, it will affect some innocent people around us. And it's going to affect Uriah. It's going to, well, there's so much more. We'll get to it. Now, verse 12, David responds. And David says to Uriah, okay, well, I want you to stay one more day. In verse 12, he says, I want you to stay one more day, and tomorrow you can leave. One more day, Tomorrow you can leave. So when David calls him in verse 13, he did eat and drink before him. And David says, can you imagine as they prepare the dinner? All right, I want a lot of good food. Bring the wine. Bring the strong, the strongest wine. And keep pouring it. Keep filling it up. You see Uriah's cup? You see Uriah's cup get a little empty? I want you over there and I want you filling it up. Filling it up. Filling it up. Nothing ever good comes from drunkenness, too. There's mini-sermon number two in here, but I'll move on from that one. He made him drunk. And at even, he went out to lie on his bed with the servants of his Lord, but he went not down to his house. David thinks, well, you know what? If I can just make him drunk, send him home, he'll go home, he'll sleep with his wife, and then we can just forget this whole thing, and everybody will think, this is Uriah's baby. But Uriah won't do it. Even, even, even a drunken Uriah is more honorable than the chosen king of Israel. There's an old gospel song. Sin will take you farther than you ever want to go. It'll keep you, keep you longer than you want to stay. And David, remember, last week, last week, we studied in one chapter before David doing mighty things for the Lord. And his life is just unraveled in, in, in a series of months. And so David today is almost unrecognizable in outward actions than he was just a few months ago. Well, verse 14, it came to pass in the morning. Now David's in a real panic and it spirals even further out of control because he writes a letter to send to Joab. And the gist of the letter is this. What I want you to do, Joab, is I want you to put Uriah, I want you to put Uriah into the front of the battle. Now, interestingly enough, who's the one who carries the note to Joab? Uriah does. David writes a note. And in the note, he says, Joab, I want you to put Uriah at the front of the battle. And at the heat of the battle, when things are the most intent, I want you to withdraw the troops, leave Uriah there, that he be smitten and die. Rolls up the scroll, 
takes a piece of wax, seals that thing, puts the kingly seal on it, puts it in the hand of Uriah and says, Uriah, when you get back to the battlefield, give this message to Joab. Uriah probably says some kind words, thanking David for his generosity, apologizing for having a little too much to drink last night. I'll do better, though. I'll honor you on the battlefield. And Uriah heads off, carrying his death sentence in his hand. He gets to the battlefield. He delivers it to Joab. Joab unrolls the instructions, and he follows the word of the king. It says in verse number 16, it came to pass when Joab observed the city that he assigned Uriah unto a place where he knew that valiant men were. And the men of the city went out and fought with Joab. And there fell some of the people of the servants of David and Uriah the Hittite died also. Then Joab sent and told David all the things concerning the war and charged the messenger, saying, When thou hast made an end of telling the matters of the war to the king, if so be that the king's wrath arise, and he say unto thee, Wherefore approached ye so nigh to the city when ye did fight? Knew ye not that they would shoot from the wall? And this whole thing goes on. Don't you know the story, verse 21, about Abimelech, the son of Jerobesheth? Did not a woman cast a piece of millstone upon him from the wall that he died in Tebez? Why went she nigh to the wall? You're like, what does that have to do with anything? You've got to understand the, what's happening. Joab's like, Joab says that he had just made a blunder. Joab's like, well, I sent the men way, I sent the men way to the front of the battle. And they said, now you're going to go back, you're going to go back, and you're going to, you're going to tell David what happened. And David's going to say, David's going to say to you, what were you doing? Why would you send the men up to the front? Why on earth would you do that? Don't you remember that guy that got killed when somebody threw something over the wall? That was the story that was, that they're talking about. And so Joab says this. He says, if David gives you a hard time, if David says to you, why would you make such a blunder? This is what I want you to say. Tell him. And Joab has a, a, a mean streak in him for sure. And Joab says, tell David this. Say, well, Uriah the Hittite is dead also. So that's what happens. And then we come down to verse number 25. That's what, exactly what they do. They tell him, Uriah is dead. In verse 25, Then David said unto the messengers, Thus shalt thou say unto Joab, Let not this thing displease thee, for the sword devoureth one as well as another. Make thy battle more strong against the city, and overthrow it, and encourage thou him. David, just, he's, he's just got to put on a big charade. He's just got to put on a big show of hypocrisy, doesn't he? It's exactly what he does. He says, oh, normally David would say, what in the world were you thinking? What a poor battle strategy. But now he's got to be compassionate, understanding. And he says, hey, don't be so hard on yourself, Joab. You try better next time. Things will, and I can imagine the servants that are given the message are probably scratching their head, wondering, like, why, what's going on here? Well, sin and hidden sin, and a plot to cover his sin has made a complete hypocrite out of David. Com complete and utter hypocrisy here. He puts on a good, and what, you, you may, what we've seen today in our generation is people can put a good show on for the church, a good show on for their friends, and say, oh, praise the Lord, brother. 
So good to see you. Isn't God good? God has blessed me so much. Listen, I've been around long enough to have known people that have quoted the Bible at me and told me all kinds of things, only to find out years later that there was all kinds of ugliness going on inside their life. Nobody wants to be a hypocrite. But sin puts us in this spiral. Downward spiral. And now Uriah is is dead. David has murdered him. Verse 26, when the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she mourned for her husband. And when the morning was passed, David's got to hurry now. People are going to count the months. So as fast as he can, he sent and fetched her to his house. She became his wife and bare him a son. Read with me the the final statement of the chapter. Ready? But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. No one knows. Just a few people that David trusts to keep his secret. But God knows. God sees. God knows. Proverbs 15.3, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. You cannot see my heart. I cannot see your heart. I don't know what, what your true life is. You don't know what mine is. But God knows. The Lord knows. The thing that David did displeased the Lord. And so for months, for months, David wallows in his misery. We'll eventually look at Psalm 51 to see what happens in David's heart. Not this morning. But we know from Psalm 51 that David, for months, loses all the joy in his life. He loses, the the great songwriter loses his song, loses his happiness, because he's got a secret that he hopes nobody finds out. He's got a sin in his life that he hopes just stays buried, that he hopes just stays hidden. Until God sends Nathan. God sends Nathan. In verse number 1 of chapter 12, the Lord sent Nathan unto David, and he came unto him and said unto him, David, I need to tell you something that happened. David, this is just out of the blue. David's not thinking about Bathsheba. He's not thinking about Uriah. He's not thinking about any of this. Finally, he's got his mind on other things. And if you've been, if you've been caught up in sin, sometimes you're just, you're just trying to get your mind on anything else. David surely isn't meditating on that. The thought comes in, he takes it away. So Nathan the prophet catches David completely off guard. And he says, he says to David, he says, David, I need to tell you, there are these two guys in one of the cities. One was rich, the other was poor. The rich guy, he had so many sheep. I mean, herds of cattle, huge flocks. He had everything he could want. But the poor man didn't have anything except one little bitty lamb. Oh, David, he loved this lamb. He brought it. He bought it and nourished it up. It grew together with him, with his children. I mean, he brought this lamb into the house. The kids fed it. Everybody took good care of it would take a sip, and then he'd take his cup, and he'd give the lamb a little sip out of his cup. And it lay right in his bosom. It was just like a little daughter to him, this little lamb. Well, some traveler came along in verse number 4. The traveler came to the rich man, and he spared to take of his own flock, of his own herd, 
He says, well, I, I mean, I've got to put on a show. I've got to feed somebody. I've got to feed this traveler. I want to impress him, but I don't want to give up one of my own lambs. So it says he took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was come to him. The poor man's lamb was just out. Nobody was paying attention. This, this, this no good, low down scumbag, can I say that, right? He goes along. He picks up this little lamb. He takes it. He kills that little lamb. And I said scumbag because that's what David thought. It says in verse number five, David is angry. And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. I mean, he is mad. He is fit to be tied. How dare he? All those herds, all those sheep, all those flocks, how dare he take? I mean, they, they, they love that lamb. That was a precious little lamb. And he would take it, bring him in, bring that man to me as the Lord liveth. The man that hath done this thing shall surely die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And in a, the most tense moment, I think one of the most tense moments in all the Bible, as David in his red-hot face and his anger pronouncing judgment, Nathan looks up and he says, David, thou art the man. David, it's you that I'm talking about. You're the one. You're the rich man. You're the one who's did, who did this. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel. I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul. I gave thee thy master's house, thy master's wives into thy bosom, gave, gave thee the house of Israel and of Judah. And if that had been too little, I would moreover have given thee such and such things. David, I would have given you anything you desired. You love me. I loved you so much. I only wanted what was good for you. Isn't that the voice of the Lord to us? The commandments of the Lord aren't grievous. The commandments of the Lord aren't for our harm. They are for our good. Every command, every thou shalt not is so thou shalt live and prosper. They're all for our good. God is not in heaven saying, boy, let's just try to, let's just try to find a way to make their lives miserable. We'll just break down. How about some commandments? Drop those commandments down on them. That'll show them. That'll make them miserable. Throw in a few lightning bolts and some thunder, and then now they'll get it. Moses said, here's the law. It's a blessing and a curse. If you'll keep the words, it's a blessing. Listen, thou shalt not commit adultery is a wonderful blessing to every marriage, every home, every boy, every girl who can say, my daddy loves my mama. Who can say that, 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 that I grew up in a home and some of you didn't have that and you're the victim and I don't mean to, to open any wounds or anything, but you understand firsthand the pain of sin and how it affected you in your life. Not your own sin, but the sin of someone else against you. And I'm sorry that you went through that. But God is with you. He will be with you. But the truth is this, friend, you step out and you, and, and, and you, you go against God's law. It is not for your good. It, is, it will harm you. God gives commands for our good. And he says, David, I would have done anything for you. Do you know how much I loved you? And he still loves David. And David's heart breaks. It just breaks. I think next week we might look at Psalm 51 that David's heart just breaks when he hears the word of God. Now, fortunately, David is a true believer. He wasn't a phony. He had a real walk with God. 
but he wandered astray. There's a difference. There are some that are just pretenders all along. They go off never to return. John the Apostle said they went out from us because they were not of us. But there's also the occurrence of a believer who has a heart for God and wanders far away and they say, what hope is there now for my life? And God says Nathan, through Nathan to David, David, I did all of this for you, for you, for you. But there will be consequences now. Verse number nine. Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? Thou hast killed your right. I mean, it just all gets laid wide open. Well, how much do you know? How much do you know, Nathan? I know everything. Every ugly little detail, I know it all. The Bible says there is a day when the secrets of men's hearts will be revealed. But there is a day coming when you think this area is hidden, I think this part is hidden. Every thought will be made manifest, Jesus said, for the day shall declare it. And Nathan just starts to spill it all out. You killed Uriah and has slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. Verse 10, now because of this, the sword shall never depart from thine house because thou hast despised me. And thou hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. There will be consequences that we will see in the weeks to come affecting people around David that David could never have imagined would have anything to do with this situation. Verse 11, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against thee out of thine own house, and I will take thy wives before thine eyes, give them to thy neighbor. He shall lie with thy wives in the sight of the sun. This is some difficult stuff here. Verse 12, Thou did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. God's judgment is pronounced. David's hypocrisy is revealed. God's judgment is pronounced. You say, Ethan, but wait a minute. Wait a minute. This is kind of like, you know, hellfire and brimstone kind of stuff. We live in the age of grace, don't we? we yes, we do. We're going to finish with the grace and goodness and mercy. But we listen, in Christianity today, we've lost the healthy fear of God. We've lost the healthy reverence and honor of God. The Bible says in 1 Peter, think about this New Testament now, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 17 and 18, speaking to the church. Speaking to the church, the apostle says, for the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Listen, on the one hand, and there's a, there's some, a cosmic balance, and I don't understand it completely, but there's a cosmic balance. On the one hand is the righteous justice and judgment of God against sin. And on the other hand is the incomprehensible love of God toward those very sinners who deserve his judgment. But even for believers, we must all, 1 Corinthians says, for we must all appear at the judgment seat of Christ. If you are saved, if you are a child of God, David would never go to hell for his sins because he knew the Lord. But man, he sure, if you pardon the expression, he sure made a hell out of his life. And that was never God's desire for him. And that's not the end of the story for David, but it's part of the story. But friends, it doesn't have to be part of your story. It doesn't have to be part of my story. Because at any moment along the way, at any step, David could have turned his heart to the Lord. I mean, he could have said, go get me Bathsheba. And they said, well, this is Uriah's wife. Yeah, bring... 
What was I thinking? This is wrong. God, forgive me. At any moment, he could have turned this thing around. But he shut the Lord out. There are always consequences for sin. The wages of sin is death. But praise the Lord. Look at verse number 13. When David is, receives all of this, there's two options when we are confronted with the Word of God. One option is to harden our hearts, to shake our fist, and to say, oh yeah, well, I'll do it my way. Or we can respond with, as David did. And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. I've sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, The Lord also hath put away thy sin. Wow. Did you see how fast that took place? Now, there will still be consequences. We'll look at them, and, and, and this, this, this little child is, is going to die. This child is not going to live. It's a terrible tragedy, and it shakes David to his core, breaks his heart. We know that the child would end up in heaven. David would speak about that later on, and I'm kind of giving you the abridged version of, the abridged version of that for sake of time. But the point I really want to focus on is this. The moment we see David say, the moment David says, I have sinned against the Lord, the Lord says what? I have put away thy sin. Put it away. Are you thankful that he removes our sins as far as the east is from the west? Are you thankful that no matter what you've done, that sin can be buried in the deepest sea, never to be... The Bible actually says that the Lord forgets our sins. How can God forget anything? God says, David, there'll be consequences, but your relationship with me, it's back. It's back. David didn't know the story, but what just happened to David, what just happened to David was the father said, put a ring on his finger, put a robe on his back. My son was lost, but he's home again. He's back. And that's, you can read all about it in Psalm 51. We'll look at it in a, in a coming lesson or message. But that's where we finish today. Friends, Christ is the great hope for the sinner. And you and I ought to give thanks for that because we are great sinners. Paul would say, but where sin, but where sin abounded, grace did what? Much more abound. That there is more grace in God then there is sin in you. And some of this is astounding. If you were God, how would you have dealt with David? Yeah. But aren't you thankful that's not how God deals with us, with our sins? Listen, I spent the, the, the majority of the message focusing on what the passage teaches us about the weight and the severity of wandering from the paths of the shepherd. But listen, there's always an opportunity for the sheep to walk back into the loving arms of the shepherd. I gave you a few passages. We don't have time to look at them all, but I want to finish with this. Christ, our great hope, he is a shepherd who seeks the lost. This final passage this morning is Luke chapter 15. Luke 15, verses 3 through 7, Jesus speaks a parable unto them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred what? David said, The Lord is my Shepherd, David would talk about the rod. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness, and what's it say, and go after? 
We look at the prodigal son, the story, he waited for the son to return, but our shepherd is, does one better. He goes after the one who's wandered astray. He goes after, listen, Nathan showing up and saying, you're the man, David, you're the one. That wasn't all judgment, that's love. That's mercy. That's God saying, David, I want you back. You've wandered, I want you back. So I'm going to send someone with a very uncomfortable message. I'm going to send someone with a message of judgment and justice, but it's just so I can bring you back. If he loses one, he leaves the 99. He goes after them. He goes after the one which is lost until he what? Until he finds it. Until he finds it. And when he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders, rejoicing. Now, I'm no expert on Middle Eastern sheep rearing, but I've been told that sometimes, and you can check this out later if it's accurate or not, I'm not 100% sure, I've been told sometimes that the little sheep's legs would need to be broken to keep it from wandering astray, just temporarily injured for the sake of retraining that lamb. And the sheep would be lifted up by that shepherd, put over his shoulders, and that shepherd would carry that sheep. Keep him close to him. That's what God did for David. That's what God can do for you. And when he comes home, oh, he calls his friends and neighbors and he says to them, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say unto you that likewise, joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repented. More than over 99 just persons which need no repentance. God's love for David was so great. Listen, there are many self-righteous people that in their own strength and their own pride say, oh, I've never committed that act because I'm a good person. Jesus said, well, if you're such a good person, I didn't come for you. I came for the one who knows that they're a sinner. Oh, you might not have sinned like, like he did, or you might not have sinned like she did, but you know that you are a lost and wandering sheep. And the key here, the key to this passage, the key to the, to the shepherd embracing the sheep, it's over one person who is willing to do what? Who is willing to repent. Willing to repent. You see, that's where this comes into focus. That's where it all comes into focus. It's not enough to just say, okay, I mess up, but of course God will forgive me. Oh, I mess up, but of course God will forgive me. No, He's, God is looking for a broken heart. God is looking for a heart that says, I have sinned. I have done wrong. My mind has changed. My heart has changed. What I thought was acceptable, God, forgive me. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. The key is repentance. And really, there's, there's the applications for the message that could go in, I don't know what's going on in your life. Because the applications for this message could go in so many different directions. You could be at, the, at a crossroad, feeling the weight of temptation, feeling the weight of sin. And the message is a warning that says, don't take that step. Don't go that way. God's command is for your good. But you could be somebody that's already walked down that road. You know Christ, but you have walked down a path and you are at a place that nobody knows about, but God knows. And God's desire is not to bring judgment into your life. God's desire is to see you restored. That choice will be up to you. Will you seek his restoration? Will you repent? 
or will you follow down the dark path of destruction? That's a decision you're going to need to make. But don't wait. The final application is for somebody that doesn't know God as their Savior at all. There's never been a time in your life where you've ever received Christ by faith. Without Christ, we're completely lost in this world. Lost in our sin, bound for hell. But Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. He died for you. He died for me. And if you'll repent of your sin and say, God, my way leads to death, but I believe, Jesus, you died and rose for me. If you'll repent and receive Jesus by faith, you will be saved. You become a child of God. Will you receive him today? Let's close with a time of prayer. I'd ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me. I'll trust the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart this morning, whatever, whatever situation, whatever the situation in your life is. I do want to warn you, if you are living with a, a, some hidden sin in your life, don't leave this place without confessing it and forsaking it. Make that right this morning. God has given you an opportunity. But maybe you're wrestling with temptation. Right now, you need to pray to the Lord. You say, God, give me grace. Give me your strength. Help me walk close to you. Maybe you need to be restored or just kept on track. Whatever it is, spend time with the Lord. And if you've not saved, if you've never received Jesus as your Savior, right now, by faith, pray to Him. Say, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. But I believe you died and rose again for me. And right now I receive you by faith. I repent of my sin and trust in you, Jesus. However you need to pray as the piano plays, let's just spend some time with the Lord in these last minutes. gracious God, slow to anger and of mercy and compassion. We thank you for the cross that paid for all sins. You paid for David's sin. You paid for my sin. You paid for all the sins of the past, present, and future on the cross. We're thankful for the complete forgiveness, not, not through our own efforts, but only through you, Jesus. I pray that we live lives that honor your sacrifice. We live lives that bring glory to your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.